Good day to everyone. It is a good day. It's um, a little bit of a stormy morning here, so you might hear uh, the sound of rain or wind <clears throat> from my little room up here on the hill. Uh, let's enjoy a few minutes of, of sitting together, of the silence and stillness and upright expression of your uh, wakeful nature and to share that. Sharing it with our bodies and our presence.
as we, um, if you see Jessica's image, and Jessica, can you spotlight yourself for a moment? So you can see the Zendo in Austin and Appamata. And <clears throat> Jessica is essentially sitting facing my seat. So what you're looking at now is the direction that I would look if I was sitting. And at the end of sitting, we would chant the verse of the robe, which we'll do together now. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. And if you remain there just for a moment longer, Jessica, that, um, I would hear to um, uh, on the side of the altar that you can see, I would hear the bell coming from there. The, the bell would be there. On the other side of Jessica, I would hear Peg chanting right next to me, sitting next to me, her ear and everyone else in the Zendo. So it's just so nice to have that view. So thank you for offering that to us, Jessica. <clears throat> so m many of you, not all of you, but many of you have been uh, around for at least the last few weeks. And now that I've been uh, exploring a, a theme several, but themes of um, the foundations of our practice and so the, the fruits of our practice and how they how they relate to each other. <clears throat> I've spoken about some distinctions to be made between um, Zen practice, its foundations and its fruits, and other beneficial and wholesome practices, such as psychotherapy and yoga, other, other things which have a bit different foundation, although some overlap and some similar fruits, but, and I also spoke of some practices which can um, sort of masquerade as transformational practices that are more manager-based practices that aren't particularly liberating. But the thread that weaves these things together is um, hopefully a capacity to soften our barriers to love and to embody the inconceivable. Because this is the direction of spiritual or even religious practice, aside from anything we might do to uh, help ourselves personally. Uh, we're opening to this formless field of benefaction that we just chanted, which is beyond uh, improvements of our personality or, or anything like that. 
And all of this, I offer all of this, and each week I come thinking, how can I support deepening our curiosity about our lives, about each other, about the world? And how can we together inspire each other to practice in ways which offer the real possibility of more freedom from unnecessary suffering for ourselves and others? And even when I say have more freedom from unnecessary suffering for ourselves and others, but also what happens through practice is we dissolve this distinction between self and other. And that's some of where the unnecessary suffering comes. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> so that's just a little bit of a kind of a review and a reminder <clears throat> to contextualize um, what prompted the curiosity and inspiration and the thought for today that I, I'd like to offer so that you can um, let that curiosity and inspiration move through you in, a, in our inquiry. Um, there, some of you know at Appamata in the depth and practice class, there's a new, uh, you're about to start on a new book, which is read. And that, that book is called, whoop, it's, there's a lot of light on it right now. The Light Inside the Dark by John Tarrant. Uh, Peg and I have been talking about it. I had it for a number of years and it's going to be read. And the reason I mention it is because those of you that have been around me for a while know that there are certain, certain things I remember, quotations that I've memorized. Or it's not that I work to memorize them. They've found a place in me. And there is a, a small quotation in the um, forward to the book, written, uh, the forward was written by Stephen Mitchell, <clears throat> who's a, a translator and poet and teacher on his own, uh, in support of John Tarrant's writing. And many of you have heard me say this over and over. Um, it's not all that hard to get enlightened. What is difficult is to keep, keep giving up our sense of the world so the world can come to us on its own terms, with its vast, pitiless, loving intelligence. We return to the simplest things with immense recognition and gratitude. Now, I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that happens for me is that there are certain things that, that really stick. Sometimes it's a longer thing. I will remember the Metta Sutta. Over time, it sort of gets in my body, or the Heart Sutra. Uh, those are longer, but some of these smaller phrases really stick with me. Uh, and mainly because I've said them over and over many times. Uh, for example, let's do this together. Just so you feel in your body what I'm going to be reflecting on, let's do a little call and response. I'll tell you each sentence and then you say it. I won't hear you, of course, but you say it back after I say it, okay? First one, it's not all that hard to get enlightened. What is difficult is to keep giving up our sense of the world. So the world can come to us on its own terms. 
and then that great list with its vast, pitiless, loving intelligence. We return to the simplest things with an immense recognition and gratitude. So it's different when you say it, isn't it? I had a, I had a desire, I realized, because I can see Claudine. It's like, I wonder what it would sound like in French, you know, but that's a different, <laughs> a different thing. <clears throat> so this, this phrase has followed me along because there's so much in it. And I thought it would be a worthwhile thing to unpack a little bit today as that inspiration and as that curiosity. So I'm going to go phrase by phrase, just like we did it, and say a few things. Uh, and you think about what it means to you and what questions might arise from it or aspects of your practice you might want to talk about. You can make a note if you want. First is that curious beginning, and I'm going to say it in a strange way. It's not all that hard to get enlightened. It sounds a little cheeky, doesn't it? Like, oh, not all that hard to get enlightened. But in actuality, it's incredibly straightforward. Our natural state is wakefulness. The naturalness of each, uh, each of our bodies and our minds and our hearts, the freedom, the natural freedom of our heart. This is what's actually natural. This is the natural state. Uh, and we sometimes, because of that word enlightenment, which has been used so um, in so many ways, in many ways improperly, we think of this as uh, some sort of radically unique state, some lofty thing that we're going to aspire to. But actually, it's relaxing back into what's most essential. Now, even though it's not a unique state, it might be uncommon for it to be realized and embodied. And that's why we practice. It's not all that hard to have those moments of freedom from the self-centered dream. It's not all that hard. There may be moments you've experienced yourself in nature, the birth of a child, maybe the death of a friend, or some powerful moment where suddenly you're, you realize you're opened to a different place. And in, in some ways, it's the expression of radical simplicity. You know, the statement I use so frequently at the beginning of retreats or meditation instruction. How simple are you willing to let this be? That's a pointer at this very thing. In the Ginjo Koan, uh, written by uh, Dogen, many of you know, I'm reflecting on a one of the founders of our, our school and from the 13th century, he said, when you first seek Dharma, you imagine you're far away from its environs, but Dharma is already correctly transmitted. You are immediately your original self. It's kind of a beautiful poetic way to say, you think you're separated from this thing, but actually it's who you are. And that um, the way that Mitchell has said it, it's not all hard to get enlightened, I have a little, 
a little because it sounds a little bit like personal attainment but really it's how do we reveal and, and, and you know discover what's always been true which is already the case to see Buddha's truth as our own life and to turn the light of awareness to turn on the light of awareness to open the light of awareness and then to become that light and I was reflecting like I said on the, the Genjo Koan this uh, piece that Dogen wrote so many centuries ago and for those of you that aren't aware this the language of course in Dogen is quite unusual but this is actually a letter he wrote to a student can you imagine getting this in an email? Um, he said, <laughs> this is one translation, enlightenment, since this is what we're being curious about here, enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. Don't, don't worry about understanding, just let it move through you. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. Enlightenment does not divide you, just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder enlightenment, just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however long or shortest duration, manifest the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitless of the moonlight in the sky. So it's, that's wild language, I know, and I know that's quite a bit. Enlightenment does not divide you. If enlightenment was some separate thing, it would be a conditioned state that would come and go, that would divide you from your everyday life, that would divide you from other people who are not enlightened. It doesn't divide you. Enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. The moon doesn't get wet. It's great. It's wide. It shows up in each moment, in everything, everywhere, if you're open to it. And that's what practice allows us to do. You cannot hinder enlightenment. Just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky, it reflects it. Each moment, each body, each life reflects this beauty. And when we begin to see real beauty, like Dogen's talking about in his wild language, how all things come to be, how all things come to manifest and be through mutually assisting each other. When we were waiting to come on, um, Jessica and, and Maria were both here, and I said, oh, there's a lot of sun, and then there's rain. Oh, that means a rainbow. And I looked around the corner, and sure enough, there was this magnificent rainbow. And I said, oh, that's, that would be great to use as a teaching, because the rainbow is not anything. There's nothing there. And yet, it's this beautiful and fantastic manifestation of something that appears to be present and solid, just like us. How all things come to be through mutually assisting each other. All things are assisting each other. And we become awake to everything, how everything co-arises. This is actually, this is beauty.
So that's the first phrase. It's not all that hard to get enlightened. The second, what is difficult, the second one you said, what is difficult is to keep giving up our sense of the world. That's what's difficult. Caught in the self-centered dream, holding to self-centered thoughts. We chant that. Caught in the self, our sense of the world, letting go of our sense of the world. In fact, there is a sentence in the in this paragraph that Stephen Mitchell wrote that precedes the quote that we're... I, I didn't keep it in the quote because it's a, a bridge sentence um, because he's talking about the writing of and John Tarrant and the journey he's taking us on. And the sentence that precedes this quote, talking about that journey, he says, on this journey, going, going on the journey, on this journey, going means letting go. Letting go is the nature of this journey. What's difficult is to keep giving up our sense of the world. This is the don't know mind of the koans that, that we, we run into so often. Or, or the ordinary mind in the famous koan I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. This ordinary mind of the natural state. And remember, in the koan it says, the way does not belong to knowing or not knowing. Not knowing is delusion. This isn't about being ignorant or distorted. And is it no excuse me, knowing is delusion, not knowing is a blank consciousness. So it's not spacing out and it's not being um, caught in what you think. There's there's a space beyond it that's hard to describe, but which you can embody. This is the embodied inconceivable. In fact, in um, Confucius, who you know was another big stream in China that moved with Taoism to form Chan, uh, here's, here's a Confucian statement. We don't often bring them forward, but I came across this and I loved it. Confucius said, <clears throat> the way, there was our practice, wakefulness, the way is at hand, but people are looking for it afar. Farmers are using it every day without being aware of it. We cannot be separated from the way even for an instant. What we can be separated from is not the way. Because it's who and what we actually are. Again, I'm just riffing on these things. You don't have to remember all this, just helping you increase your curiosity and, and your inspiration. Then the Genjo Koan, once again, Dogen says, when Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it's already sufficient. When Dharma fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing. Now this sounds the other way around, you know. Again, the delusion, our primary delusion, the delusion of independence, that we are separate beings, falls away. That delusion is dispelled when Dharma fills our body. And we realize non-separation, even as we understand our partiality. And in everyday activity, what does this look like? Well, it looks a lot like learning to care for everything without trying to get anything out of the caring. 
learning to care for everything and everyone without trying to get something out of the caring. It's not all that difficult to get enlightened. What's difficult is to keep giving up our sense of the world. And the next phrase that you said was, so that the world can come to us on its own terms. Life as it is, the only teacher is coming to us, coming to us. But when we chant that, life as it is, the only teacher, do we really understand what it's pointing to? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah Dharma gates, they're, they're here. It's, it's really profound. And in that most famous quotation ever from Dogen, at least a portion of it where he says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. That's what we're asking ourselves to do in inquiry. So to study the self is to forget the self. That's the stepping beyond, the don't know. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. We only come into existence. We only are here because of everything else. And when we study the way of the Buddha and take ourselves out of the center of things, we begin to realize this. The world is coming to us. And we're responding to the world on its own terms. It isn't our way directing or inhibiting or complaining about or hiding from the world. To study the Buddha ways, to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. And that Suzuki Roshi said one time, the practice of non-discrimination, you know, this letting go of all of our opinions about everything, always dividing everything. The practice of non-discrimination does not mean that we don't discriminate. It means we study everything. The practice of non-discrimination means we don't leave anything out of our study, anything out of our inspiration, anything, we don't leave it out. Everything's a teacher. This is life as it is, the only teacher. So that the world can come to us on its own terms. How does it come? And then that amazing list with its vast, pitiless, loving intelligence. Well, it's vast, beyond measure, beyond conceptions. As one teacher said, it's more than you can imagine and more than I can say. It's outside of our conceptualizations, but liberation or freedom from our discriminating perceptions, the way that we separate ourselves from the world and, and judge and divide, liberation from this way of automatically doing things will not be something you can imagine because the imagination is already setting up discriminations. And it actually may not be something you want. It may be more challenging than you think. It is vast. It's pitiless. That one gets your attention, doesn't it? It's not about you. This freedom in practice is not all about you. And the universe is not personally trying to hurt you. And it's not personally trying to save you because it's not personal. It's moving along in this, this really dazzling array of contingent 
See? And it's a relentlessly perfect dance of cause and effect, of mutual causality. And this is the wholeness of function that we begin to realize. And he uses the word loving. It's loving? Well, I would say it's, life is generous. It does not hold back. Like with someone that you love. You want to give them everything. Because life does offer you everything. Because nothing is separate from anything. But it also asks everything of you. Because you can imagine you can kind of plunge in or step back, but actually there's no holding back. The illusion is that you can separate yourself. But life pulls you, you know, kicking and screaming into it. And it's a... Uh, maybe this is a good way to consider what love is, which is the next... Um, it's not an emotional emotion and it's not personal it's beautiful and it's a profound realization of the beneficence of dharma and you know I looked up the word beneficence um, and what I found is it said an act of charity, mercy and kindness with a strong connotation of doing good uh, for others including uh, a moral obligation the beneficence of the dharma it's full of charity, mercy, kindness, of goodness and morality. This is the boundless feel of benefaction. And intelligence, loving intelligence, well, this is wisdom, this is Prajnaparamita. This is just this, the inexhaustible radiance and horror, the fullness of life. And then that last phrase that you said with me, we return to the simplest things with an immense recognition and gratitude. Being just this moment is compassion's way. Recognition, all things are Buddha, arising and passing away. Every small thing, we return to the simplest things and realize them as Buddha. And we're full of gratitude because we realize we only exist through the generous existence of everything else as we release this delusion of separateness. The Genjo Koan, once again, Dogen, when we find our way at the present moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. You see the fundamental point, which is what I've been speaking about the last couple of weeks. Here is the place. Here the way unfolds, he says. And do not suppose that what you realize becomes your knowledge and is grasped by your consciousness. Oops. Although actualized immediately, the inconceivable may not be apparent. Its appearance is beyond your knowledge. Well, that's a fine way to put period on it, isn't it? <laughs> that the thing that we... It's not all that hard to get enlightened. What's difficult is to keep giving up our sense of the world. So the world can come to us on its own terms with this vast, pitiless, loving intelligence. We return to the simplest things with an immense recognition and gratitude. And so I know I've gone on, I'm just one small thing. You know how I like to take these small things and invert them and see how they sound? And So this is an expansion and turning it in, in an inverse way. This is what I wrote to myself. 
with immense gratitude and a flicker of recognition, we meet the simplest things and recognize them as complete manifestations of Buddha's life. This loving intelligence, <clears throat> both pitiless and vast, vast. <clears throat> excuse me, this loving intelligence, both pitiless and vast, is offered to us freely in each moment. What need for pity when the vast universe is freely given in each moment? This immense generosity comes on its own terms as infinite and inconceivable, dependent arising, and this we call Dharma. So I've made it into the triple treasure here, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. We realize every manifestation is Buddha's life, and the infinite and inconceivable dependent arising is Dharma. Studying our habits of discrimination allows us to continually, without ceasing, give up our small, personal, separate sense of the world. And then it's not that hard to release ourselves to ourselves and to follow this enlightening path together as Sangha. Because what we realize is inconceivable togetherness. No separation, no discrimination. Beyond all divisions, every being and thing realizes freedom. So that was a mouthful, I know. What do you have to say for yourself? What, what were you curious about? What inspired you? What thwarted you? Please come forward, because this is where it becomes alive. And sometimes these things, these quotes get in us because they're working on us, you know, and this one has worked on me for years. <clears throat> I see my beautiful sister has raised her hand. Hi, mom. Hello. Hi. Oh, and mom. Mom. Hi, mom. Um, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, what you're speaking about um, is something that uh, we're obviously all working on our whole lives, but uh, you know, the last eight or nine months has been really intense um, for me going down really far so that um, and having the awareness of like, ah, you know, something's wrong, um, which is the good news because I knew something was wrong and getting the help I need um, and inquiry and all the things that I practice um, yeah. to figure out. And, you know, it's what you're saying is, um, it's here already, you know, and, and to, to let the things that have kept me from understanding that or seeing it or feeling it drop away. I mean, you know, like, how do you, I mean, I know how it's, it's a practice, but, um, well, I got I, to, I got to see something you never saw. And because I'm five years older than you and I've, prayed to have a little sister and then when you were born and you were perfect I saw you like that before you could see yourself in any other way and then everything else happened yeah. but I've always held that 
view that you didn't have in a certain way. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I need people to see me that way. And you were talking about the discrimination and I've really been in the last couple of months realizing who does see me and who doesn't, you know, um, who, who is hearing me, who is seeing me, who is, you know, a heart person and not just a surface. You know, their reflections, so they seem clear. Right. And, and I, yeah. And I'm longing for that, uh, to find new community. You know, I'm starting to expand and doing different things because I want to find more people that are coming from their heart yeah. uh, more easily, I guess I should say. It's hard for all of us all the time, but um, yeah. And, and some of the things that I thought about myself and then I thought I liked and that, you know, I've done them and then I'm like, mm, maybe not. You know, um, and that's interesting to me. It it's um, I like it. It's like, oh, I have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's I can choose. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Um, well, and your your desire for community is that sense of uh, you know sangha in whatever form it takes. Yes. Yes. You to have people that you can practice with mm -hmm. and share this with, like like you and I are doing now. Yeah. Yeah, so it just really everything you were saying was like, mm -hmm, uh huh, yes, thank you uh, for reinforcing that, you know. And and um, I consider um, that part about um, understanding that it's already there mm -hmm. and and to practice and use it, you know, in every moment. That that kind of is the practice, right? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> right teaching. Wow. <laughs> you know, but um, but being reminded, you know, and, mm -hmm. and taught in such a beautiful way yeah. that, um, has been really you know, great. Because we we grew up in a, a theistic household and that made a deep impression on us and it's kind of in our, our bodies. There's a, a wonderful quotation from the uh, Christian mystic, German Christian, uh, Meister Eckhart. He said, the eye through which I see God is the eye through which God sees me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's coming to that eye and that eye, mm -hmm. uh, how we're seen in God's view or, or how we're seen in this clear, clear way. It's important. I see you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Love you. Love you. Good evening. Hi, hi Flint. Um, I wrote down something that I I don't know how to do. I in in typical me fashion, I bounce between two things. I wrote down how to reconcile pitiless with benefaction. Uh, pitiless with what was the second word? Benefaction. Benefaction. Uh huh. Yeah, and not as an abstract concept, but actually in my real life. Yeah. So you, you want an example of it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, sometimes I think of, and maybe other people think of pitiless as uh, sort of cool or uncaring. Hmm. Uh, but that's not how I read it, but that's just my, my way. Um, if I pity you, I make you small, you know, like a victim or someone who, but if I take away pity, even if I see difficulty, 
then I can actually meet you with kindness and care with beneficence. But if I pity you, I've actually separated myself and made you a lower needy being or a broken person like Kathy was just talking about. So it's essential that we let go of pity so that we can come forward with our full heart, not, not with a, a smaller heart, with a larger one. Yeah. Does it, that make sense to you? Yeah. I'm thinking in the midst of pain. When Right. In the midst of immense pain, if I pity you, once again, I, it's a little bit of a separation. You're the sufferer and I'm the helper. But if I can actually meet you fully without the pity, then I can have a deeper empathy and more compassion. Yeah. And what we want is a compassionate, beneficent care, not, not pity. Yeah. Uh, but if someone wants to feel like they're at the effect of the universe, somewhat victim-y kind of stance, then they're going to want pity. Because like, poor me, why is this happening? You know, those kind of things. And we all have those moments, of course, you know, because things are really difficult. But that's not what frees us to stay in that state. We That needs to be met, but even that can be met with compassion and empathy. And say, I understand how that feels, but that's not pity. Yeah. And it brings us up out of that into some other place that's more has more possibility. Yeah, as yeah, as you're saying that, I'm getting, I'm getting images of, of like widening, of like. Yes, yes. Yeah, expanding. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, pity will, can make small, yeah. and beneficence and compassion will make large. And, and that we, may be. And we go to the small, out of habit because that's. Yeah. That's our conditioning. That's that's what we know to do sure. to get our needs met. Just automatic habit patterns. Yeah. Sorry. Automatic habit pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for asking. That's a really good question. Really good question. Frightening to be here. Oh. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm right here with you. I'm with you. Hello, Flint, and hello, everybody. Mm. I think yesterday in uh, Nothing Special in the UK, we talked, we were reading the book of uh, the poem of um, the grass roof. Uh -huh, hermitage. Uh -huh. Exactly. Thank you. Right. And at the moment, he says that we have always this feeling of not being complete. Mm -hmm. And it will go. It will come back always. We will never get rid of it. And a link was made during your talk tonight because I felt to to be able to to feel our Buddha nature. It's necessary to to give up this feeling of not being complete to see that it is a delusion in some way and not only a delusion because it has been the it is a delusion and it was the the motor do you understand this word motor the mm. motor of, of of our of my life always trying to do this in therapy or to to get this in a in a shop or to do yeah. this 
with friends and so on to to try to be more complete yeah to strive to grasp and it never works completely no no and so something landed a little deeper mm. about that yes and and you said um to you know give up our this delusion of separation i also this is a subtlety in english to not be caught by the inevitable delusion of separation mm-hmm. that's, what you meant. that's what you meant that's what i thought and i wanted to just say it again because you um you know it will come again you said that and you've heard me use the quote from suzuki roshi before where he said uh, um, big mind is realizing we'll always see through small mind I mean, this awakening, what we wake up to is we know we're partial. We, we know we have limited capacities, but we open to that and something else arises. Even, even though we know we're limited human beings, we're both limited and vast. That paradox is hard to, uh, but to soften our grip on grasping, something else can move into that space. Yeah. And there is one sentence in the four practice principles. It is the last one. And being just this moment, for, I don't know if I understand it quite right because it's, it's, not, it's not French, uh, but it is the idea of becoming a part of time. I mean, mm-hmm. being time and being just the time being. Yes. And you you can't do that if you are grasping. That's I'm right. sorry it's so difficult to express. You're something. doing a really good job. You're doing a very good I, job. That's, I, I love this sentence very much. I, I live with it. it. It stays with you, huh? Mm-hmm. Do you remember how we chanted it in French when we were doing the retreat? I don't remember. Chaque instant, what was it? Each moment, life as it is. Do you remember? <coughs> no. Yeah, Sorry. that's okay. We have I it. Find it. I could find it for another time, but not. And it now. may help. It may not help. But it's just to deepen since it's staying with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think I I love this French translation. It's yeah, <laughs> you're working fine with it in English. That's great. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. Thank you very much. Of course. I'm glad I said your name so you would come forward. I love the way we can go from uh, Switzerland to Oklahoma in an instant. Hey, Flint. Hi, Steve. Good to see you. So I want to go back. the topic from a week ago, combine it with topic of today. Mm-hmm. So when one of these catastrophes happens, something that arises within me is I need to do something. Mm-hmm. Oh, what I find time and time again is I'm a pretty lousy activist. And I think it has something to do with being so immersed in these teachings. Mm. 
allowing everything to be exactly as it is, giving up my sense of the world, giving up my preferences. So you think that there's a, an edge to the practice which might incline you towards passivity? Of not doing? Well, it seems to be that way. I mean, I... I no, that's, I, uh, that's all I'm asking. It does seem to be that way, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I think that it absolutely can incline us in that way. It's And by bringing this forward, I can tell you, you're not quite satisfied with that because you know it's not, may not be the deepest expression. I think that's right. But we might do some things to try to work around the edges, you know? Um, well, you send money to, money to groups that are, you know, yeah. Sandy Hook Promise is a group I found that I really admire the work they're doing, but that doesn't quite do it. You know, it, again, it's a passive way of doing something. And, uh, you know, I try to open my heart to my loved ones and people I know and people I don't know, all of those things. That's not nothing, Steve. It's not nothing, but it's, but these catastrophes keep happening. And they will continue to keep happening and your heart will continue to be broken in ways when you realize that you can't stop these things. When that impulse that you spoke about in your first sentence, when you came on, when these catastrophes happen, I feel this, that's bodhicitta. That's what practice actually helps you feel. Then, because of our practice, if we can remain wise enough, in other words, not do foolish or harsh things in response, and compassionate enough, not be destroyed by the horror that we see, that helps us move forward. And that moving forward is very different for each of us. And it's always going to be partial. And it's always going to be, in some ways, I feel it. <laughs> this is mine. I feel like pitiful in response to what's happening. But that's why I pour myself out here as best I can. Uh, on the, above the altar where Jessica in the room there, there's, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a whole array of cards on the altar up there. That's the name of every one of those children in Uvalde. Just below that calligraphy. Well, does that do anything? Well, no child was saved and no parent was helped by those cards there. And yet, and yet, by the intention and the activity of placing them there and by everybody sitting with them, that's the inconceivable, you know? And sometimes you do have to get out there and do something. That's true. I, I don't want to get caught in this trap of, I'm going to send my thoughts and prayers. That's right. That's not enough. It's a, it's a base, but it's not enough. You're absolutely right. I'm with you. And the uh, it's a spiritual bypass sometimes to say, oh, well, it's all empty and you know, perfect and blah, 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 which is kind of bullshit, spiritual, not accuracy. So it is important to do something. And the something you do may not be direct to the thing that was damaged or the difficulty, but it can be somewhere. And I think that impulse in your questioning, the inquiry you're living with, just good wishes and prayers isn't enough that's good because then that will call you forward to something else you might do and you don't always know what that is and it's i'm having a hell of a time figuring out what that is <laughs> that's right but the willingness to figure it out steve is the edge 
at least you have the willingness, at least you're not comforted by the small things you do, you, by your own description, small, uh, and say, well, that must be good enough. You're not comforted by that. That's appropriate. Not because you should torture yourself, but because you can feel the longing to do more. And, and always you're going to have to live with the partiality. No matter what you do, terrible things will still happen. That's true for all of us as we help each other. As you were helping, for example, parents die. You know, you do what you can, but you realize it's not going to stop some rough things from going on. And so we live with the longing and the love and we live with the grief and the impotence. And practice allows us to be a large enough container to tolerate that. Most people can't tolerate that. And so they find a place to land, a small place they can call home and just hang out there. You're not doing that. You're doing the harder thing. I wish it was more satisfying, but it's just a challenge. Well, I do find myself kind of settling into a comfortable spot and ignoring it all. But you don't stay there. You're uncomfortable yeah. today. You're speaking up because you practice. I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. This bodhisattva part of you that keeps showing up and keeps guiding you, even when you realize it's, uh, it's not going to solve all the problems, doggone it. That's why the image of Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, has a thousand hands and eyes and arms, you know, with all these tools, because it requires, requires a lot. Maybe we feel ourselves as only one of those little hands or one of those little eyes. But in the oldest images, she also has multiple heads. And someone was asking, maybe it's Jessica, I don't remember, the, somebody was asking the other day about why so many heads. It's because when she looked out and heard the cries of the world and saw what was going on, her head exploded. She couldn't take it. And she blew into a larger container, more heads, more arms, more eyes, you know. Yeah. So stay with it, Steve. You're on the edge of where you need to be. And we're with you. You're speaking for a lot of people here. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Rosemary, you got the last minute. Um, I know that there are a bunch of things. First, that um, I was going to bring something up today that kind of illustrated something you were talking about. But as soon as you spoke to your sister, it's like, oh, my goodness, it just hit me. This connection was so beautiful. Um, I'm very and, fortunate. Um, yeah, it really was lovely. And uh, uh, one of my brothers has COVID and um, the others in Italy and you know, has a heart condition, he seems to be okay. So I'm a little nervous about them. But um, I also wanted to thank you for last week and your um, vulnerability with us in terms of what we were just talking about. And it um, uh, led me to stay with the news for the whole hour, you know, last week and, and also listen to some of the hearings. And to Steve, um, I also share that, um, you know, what do you do? And um, after Flint's talk last week, I did contact the mayor in my town because I just thought, you know, if you just remembering these um, these incidents and these people and these families is a big thing. And I just asked if they were planning some kind of vigil, because to me, that kind of visual 
you know, and heartfelt communal um, remembering can really be a lot. So anyway, that's what I, I haven't heard that. Thank that's you. something that I did. So thank you so much. Yeah. And our ceremonies and rituals are necessary to hold things that we actually can't hold because they're too horrible or too powerful or too mysterious. So that's, we do need those things. And that's why we do this ritual and why we end with, uh, today we're going to end with the four practice principles to remind ourselves. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. And I will say that sitting with these names um, for Zazen is very beautiful, and it's a very uh, intense and potent practice. Um, so thank you to everyone who's taken the time to write these names out and, and be with this. Um, and thank you to all of you for your generosity and your continued support of Appamata and of our wonderful teachers. Um, if you'd like to make a contribution, you can do so on the website. Um, and make sure if you'd like it to go directly to Flint that you indicate that. And now if you can stay afterwards, uh, please do. Maria has, uh, the after Zazen porch waiting for you.